Hey, I'm Steve Follin. Thanks for downloading This Time What It's Like Being Freelance for copywriter Joel Kletke. As soon as you figure out what you love and what's profitable and where those two things intersect, stop doing everything else. I'm actually making it a prerequisite to work with me where if I can't use you in a case study, I don't want to work together. The rewards of taking the reins and building something and being able to say that you went out there and did it and to own your client relationships and own your own destiny, it's its thrilling. Hello. Hope you are well. I hope you're having a good week being freelance. So this time we are chatting to conversion copywriter Joel Kletke, uh, whose stuff I love. So looking forward to that in a moment. Just to remind you, beingfreelance.com is the website. Loads of other guests to listen to. Uh, also, hit subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. Leave us a review. Go on, be a love. And of course, join us on Twitter as well, at beingfreelance. Share this with other people that you know uh, within your sort of freelance network i guess trying to find a less cheesy way to say it anyway let's crack on and talk about being freelance this time with joel kletke who is where where are you i'm in calgary alberta canada oh how nice (laughs) has the snow has the snow started already I'm looking out my window and dreading going outside, so that should tell you everything you need to know. <laughs> uh, very nice. So Joel is a conversion copywriter and uh, also the best-looking man in the world, both of which we shall come to. But why don't we get started talking about how you got started being freelance? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, my my path to winding up here is, I think everyone's is a little different. Mine's just kind of odd. Um, I always loved to write, always you know wanted to write for a living, but... Never really saw a business opportunity in it, especially, um, you know, doing anything outside of fiction. I, I never really saw the business case for it. So ironically enough, did a business degree and then, you know, went through marketing and kind of, you know, that was my first hint. Okay, people people need people who write stuff, but it didn't really clue in. Um, I knew more about kind of the place that I wanted to be than what I wanted to do. I wanted to be somewhere small. I wanted to be somewhere I could do a lot of things, wear a lot of hats, where I had some autonomy. So I wound up going to work for this small online marketing agency and got into SEO. And I didn't have the foggiest clue uh, what SEO was at the time I got hired, but they kind of hired me because I had the right attitude and and was, I guess, young and, and could figure it out. Um, so I worked at that agency for almost five years, four and a half years. But around year two, uh, two or three, we hired a copywriter, a freelance copywriter. And up until that point, I'd been doing most of the writing for the agency. So if someone came in and needed a website written or some ads written, I would take a stab at it. Um, but for the first time, we hired an, an outside copywriter, and they were charging us 40 bucks an hour, which at the time was like, holy crap, that's that's engineer money. That's huge. Uh <laughs> But the trouble was that they were paying her to write something and then paying me to basically crumple it up, throw it away and write it again because it was terrible. Um, and that's when it first kind of clued in for me like, hey, if someone who's really trash at this can charge 40 bucks an hour and get jobs, you know, maybe, you know, I, I think I'm decent at this. Maybe I could have a go at it. So that's when it first really clicked for me that, that this was a whole kind of different environment and market that I could serve. Um, so after that point, I, I started putting it out there. I used my little portfolio from the agency and picked up a couple jobs with a developer friend of mine and finally got my first real like job that was all entirely my own. It came off a referral from a friend. 
I went into this meeting and the only thing I had in my mind was that, okay, I, I felt like I could do it based on the email and I wanted to make 40 bucks an hour or more. So I sat down with this guy, his name's David, and uh, he said, okay, I looked at your portfolio. I like it. And uh, it sounds like, you know, you're a good fit for the job. What do you charge? And, you know, like I said, all I had in my head was 40 bucks an hour. So I gave the most convoluted pitch ever. And that was, okay, well, we've never worked before. So for the first 10 hours, it's 40 bucks an hour. And he kind of sat and thought about, okay, that's fair. You know, uh, what about after that? And I almost crapped my pants because (laughs) I hadn't thought that far ahead. Uh, I was so shocked that the $40 was okay that I, I hadn't thought, well, now what? Uh, so, uh, sitting in my seat, kind of squirming and, and needing to say something, I just spat out, well, after that it doubles and there was this silence and we sat across from each other and he kind of looked back at me he said, all right, it's steep, but it's fair. And that's when things really looked good because I was sitting there going, holy shit, I'm charging $80 an hour for writing. And that's when it kind of all came together for me. So after that point, I stayed with the agency a little while longer. I picked up some freelance gigs kind of on the side, Um, spent the time that I had at agency, you know, when I wasn't doing what I did there, kind of networking with people in the online marketing industry. Um, And then finally, um, after, like I said, four and a half years, I I saw the whole industry turning towards content, um, knew the time was right and decided to step out on my own. And that's, you know, what brought me to, to now wow that's a great story so are we talking like five when did you join the agency like seven years ago five years ago i'm trying to do the maths so i have been out on my own um since july 1st 2013 so just about two and a half years um so i mean the agency would have been like oh eight oh nine probably oh nine so out, out of interest, uh, probably come to this later, but do you still charge per hour or do you charge per project? No, I don't charge per hour. So this, I mean, I talk to a lot of freelancers and one of my passions is helping people that are just getting started out because um, I get a fair amount of questions. And I started out charging per hour and then almost immediately switched to per project because it just made more sense. It was more predictable for both sides. But I've actually tested a lot of ways of kind of displaying my rates. Um, that's something I'm passionate about because I believe in displaying rates because I think when you don't, number one, you're going to get inquiries from people who think that your worth your work is worth nothing. Um, number two, though, it's always going to be a surprise or a battle or a strange conversation. You never know what you can get until you put it out there. Um, so I started out charging hourly, didn't work. Moved to project rates. Um, they kind of worked for a while. I would display ranges. So I would show, okay, well, this kind of piece costs from this to this, but people always gravitated to the bottom number. So it didn't, you know, really work. They're always kind of surprised by it, but I did realize almost immediately after putting rates up and and putting that threshold up above kind of the, the O desks and the, the cheap guys of this world that the number of crappy leads I got went down pretty much immediately. Um, after displaying ranges, I went on to just display, um, a project minimum. And that's what I found to work best for me now. So now if you go to my rates page, you'll see that I've got a project minimum. I don't, you know, I say the typical project costs around this. Um, the only reason that I show that, like I said, is to keep people from contacting me, not to get them to contact me. And I think that's a mistake freelancers make is if you're thinking of putting up your rates as a means of showing, Hey, I'm cheaper. You're going to get the kind of work that is cheap and work with the kind of clients that are cheap. 
Um, you know, so that's how I display my rates. How do I actually put them together and charge for them? I've got an internal hourly rate. So I put together what I think roughly the project will take me on a time sort of level. And then my quote reflects that and also who I'm quoting to. So, um, not that you gouge people, but if someone's got more buying power or you're going to deal with more red tape or the you know, scope of the project is bigger, um, then I adjust my prices for that on top of, of my calculation. Yeah, do you know, that red tape is an interesting one, isn't it? Yeah. How many people are going to have to okay this? <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, that's that's the thing is, you know, copywriters dream of working with big companies. Almost every writer I talk to says, yeah, I'd love to work with big companies and big budgets. And you know what? It, it can be great. But my sweet spot is not big companies. In fact, big companies have rarely been the most profitable. Um, my sweet spot is kind of those those profitable mid-sized companies, the companies that don't have the red tape, but they've got good size budgets. And even though you know you might get 5,000 less out of the project, you're going to spend months less you know, figuring it out because there's way less intangibles and, and people that have to okay it and, and that kind of thing. So in that two, two and a half years, whatever it is, since you, you know, properly stepped out by yourself, has your, well, how has your company evolved? How has, well, in fact, there's, there's a question in itself, because I noticed, you know, your website is businesscasualcopywriting.com. So you're like representing yourself as a business. And yet when you read it, it feels very much like it's all you. So, you know, did that even, is that even how you began? I don't know. Yeah, it is. Uh, I mean, so that's two questions. I'll answer them both. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) no, that's okay. Uh, When I started out, um, it was important to me. I kind of looked at the landscape of copywriters and realized like nobody knows my name. Uh, Nobody is going to be able to pronounce my surname. And I can put myself out there as Joel Klecky, but that sounds very small. And unless I've got credibility behind it, the only people that are going to hire me are people who come off referral um, or get recommended. Uh, when you when you have a personal name for your freelancing, you feel very small. Um, by changing that to business casual, it gave me a brand I could play with. It gave me a persona I could play with. It gave me the ability to scale in time. So if I added writers, I could keep the same name. Um, it gave me the ability to come up with things like that little cartoon character that that I use and and that sort of thing. So I mean, there's no correct you know way to do it, but for me, having a branded company made the most sense. Um, as far as how I evolved, um, there's a couple ways, you know, that I evolved. I started out, I think as a lot of writers start out with casting a really broad net, uh, I would take on pretty much, you know, whatever came my way within reason if they had the budget. So I would do brochures and I would do websites and I would do in-app copy and I would do landing pages and, and kind of the works. And I don't regret doing that because it allowed me to kind of, you know, try a bunch of things, figure out what I was good at. Um, but now I've specialized and I think that's another thing is as soon as you figure out what you love and what's profitable and where those two things intersect, stop doing everything else. (laughs) So for, for me, uh, now I focus almost exclusively myself on landing pages, website, copy, and email campaigns, because those are all types of copy that can be traced back to a tangible outcome. Um, they can all be measured in dollars and cents. My landing page either outperformed your old one or it didn't. Uh, this change either generated more revenue or it didn't. And because you're closer to the money, you can charge more. Um, that said, the second way the company's evolved is it's not just me anymore. Uh, and that's something where I'm you know, catching up now, trying to update the site and, and got things planned. But growth is always the goal, uh, whether 
whether it's, you know, more income or more people or bigger projects or whatever. And for me, I saw a huge opportunity, even though I didn't want to write them anymore in blog posts and articles and eBooks, um, a ton of demand and, and still a good, healthy market of people who will pay a premium for stuff. They don't have to, you know, wrestle with a crappy writer to get. So now I've brought on someone to subcontract his name, Steven. And, um, perfect kind of relationship. You know, he's a perfectionist. He works very hard. Um, he's willing to, you know, try to learn my voice and tone, but also, you know, bring his to the table when it's most appropriate for the project. So I've grown to two, um, by the new year, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to grow to three. So I've moved now from being purely freelance to a little bit, you know, more of a, a micro agency model, um, which is exciting, but you know, comes with challenges of its own. Um, as you start on the first few projects with Stephen, for example, are you saying, can I approve that before you send it to them? Are you like, because it's still your, you know, your brand? Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I think that's the challenge. And a lot of questions surrounding growth that I get from copywriters are exactly that. And um, in the beginning, yeah, you know, I'm looking over it, I'm approving it. But I think the way that you bring someone to, you know, into things is really gradual. I didn't throw Stephen to the wolves and have him write for my best clients right away. Uh, you have to be willing to take risks. You have to be able to pay out of pocket. So, you know, I actually had Stephen work on stuff that was low stakes so I could gauge, you know, voice and tone and what's he like to work with. Stephen's actually a long-term friend of mine, uh, which had a whole different, you know, element to the mix. But I started him on small projects, small blog posts, short things, things that were low stakes where if somehow he really bungled them up, I would still have time to rewrite them and my losses might, you know, be minimal, a couple hundred dollars or or something like that. Um, in time, though, you know, I've I've had to kind of let go of the reins, and that's been tough. I think I was forced to um, because in October I got married, went away on my honeymoon, and resolved not to work at all. And so Stephen was on his own. He was, you know, he had his projects lined up, he had things to get done, and and I did not have the time or the will to to review his stuff anymore. And so it was just a matter of cutting him loose and letting him take responsibility. And really, you can only train someone so far. And he did great. You know, he impressed me in every way. He managed clients really well. And so it's a relationship that works. So it was gradual. It's a gradual letting go of the reins. But eventually, you have to get past yourself and just, you know, kind of let them crash and burn or, or succeed on their own. Because if you don't, it becomes a cost center, it becomes you micromanaging. And then instead of working on projects that make you money, you're now managing someone else's time and losing it. Man, congratulations, by the way. Uh, yeah, both, thank you. both on getting married and finding Stephen. Both sound like beautiful <laughs> things. Uh, yeah. you, you mentioned in there about outcomes, about you know the fact that doing conversion copywriting means you can actually state outcomes. Mm -hmm. How do you go about that? Do you say... I have to have access to your analytics or do you just trust it? You know, like how, how do you get that sort of information? Yeah, it's a challenge. I don't get it with every client. Um, I always stress the importance of it with clients, um, but you can't force someone to measure something or do something that they don't want to do. Uh, I think being informed of the tools. So when a client says, okay, we would like to measure, I can come back and say, here's the tools to do it. Um, so I have accounts my, you know, myself with a tool called PT Engine, for example, where we can get heat mapping. They're gracious enough to um, give me that account for free in exchange for my case studies. Now, you know, because I'm at the point I can be a little bit more selective with who I'm working with and I don't, you know, take all comers, um, I'm actually making it a prerequisite to work with me where if I can't use you in a case study, I don't want to work together because measurement is good for everybody. And, you know, being able to prove that they got a better result is good for them and it's good for me. 
you know, most times I do ask for access to analytics. Sometimes I'll recommend a tool like Unbounce or PT Engine, um, depending on the client's budget or, you know, the free version of Optimizely, if they've got the resources to implement. Um, that's a problem that I'm also trying to solve now, too, by bringing on a peer. So my friend Sean and I used to work together agency side. He's quite good with the analytics and setup and, and measurement. So um, I'm starting to bake that into my quotes where I just say, okay, well, we're going to do measurement free. And of course, it's not totally free, but I'm also giving them one hell of a deal um, because it benefits all of us. That's something that I'll pay out of pocket to have or take a lower rate for because the more case studies I can show, the bigger and better the projects I'm going to get the more credibility I'm going to have. Um, you know, so it's the kind of investment that is worth making. Yeah, nice, which g- g- really speaks throughout your website. Um, you really should, uh, there'll be a link in the show notes, but uh, businesscasualcopywriting.com, it feels like a masterclass in how to write a freelance website. Uh, and doing this job, I, I have looked at a lot of freelancers' websites, uh, probably more than most would. And it's one thing that does shine through is the fact that you're really subtly, however, driving home the fact that it, what you do gives this result. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel like it's forced down my throat, but that's, that's something that really comes across. Yeah, I think something, especially, you know, writers, it should take to heart something that I kind of learned easy on is sometimes you want to be blunt. You want to bash someone over the head with an idea or result because that's the only way it's going to get through. But especially when you're selling yourself as a writer, you've got to balance kind of confidence and cockiness and lead people to that conclusion themselves. Um, so for example, I want to lead the person reading my website to determine for themselves that I'm their best option and not just say I'm your best option. Um, you can see that in my pricing page, for example, there's a section there where I talk about, you know, what they get when they work with me and why that's valuable to them. And I'm not justifying my rate explicitly. I'm not begging them to, to pay that, but at the same time, it serves as justification. Um, they, they can go through and see, okay, well, this guy operates like a business. Uh, this guy is outcomes focused. Um, you know, this guy has a background that's different than most people. So instead of just, you know, bashing them over the head or pleading with them to hire me, you're kind of confidently asserting like, here's, here's what I'm, why I'm good. Here's what I can do. And letting the client determine for themselves, yeah, we need that. We want that. There's an interesting bit as well where you, you outline your process, mm-hmm. which, well, how do you find putting that up there? I love it. It's, it's probably the best page on my site because the number one question I used to get from people contact me is, what's the next step? How do we do this? Uh, you have to remember, for a lot of people, like copywriting is still uh, a big market, it's still a huge piece of the pie, and lots of people are working with outside copywriters for the first time. Even big companies, companies you would think had done it a thousand times before, I'm often surprised when they say, we've never done this, what's the process? So by putting my process up there, I do two things. Number one, I answer that question so I don't have to keep telling people. Uh, But number two, I'm also showing them the way I think through a project. I'm showing them I'm competent. I'm showing them that there is a process. Because one of the big fears people have with writers is writers can be loosey-goosey. Any freelancer can be loosey-goosey. They don't hear from them. They don't know what's going on. They don't know what they're actually working on, where their investment is going. Um, So by showing that you have a method to your madness, that there's steps you work through every time, you give a lot of comfort to the situation. The person knows that they're going to be taken care of even before they talk to you. It also felt like when I was reading it that I was thinking – Actually, this justifies whatever you're charging. 
No, as as in they have no idea what a copywriter does. They think you just sit down and write something and up it comes. For that matter, the same with somebody who's designing your logo. They don't realise the research or the amount of trial versions you might do that go into it. So maybe putting it out there also helps justify why, you know, why you're an expert at it. Absolutely. I mean, I, I resolved early on. One of the things you'll notice that I don't do anywhere on my site is educate people on why copywriting matters. Um, that's not my job. I'm not going after people who need to be told that you need to pay for good copy because that's a terrible lead for me. I'm never going to win that war. Uh, what I'm trying to do is show people who already believe good copy is worth paying for, who've maybe been burned in the past or are actually more comfortable when they're paying more, which is again, something that's funny, but it's the truth. You know, if, if I sell you a diamond ring for 30 bucks, you're going to have questions, right? Um, so by putting stuff out there, Again, it's kind of mirroring. The client believes process is important. Now they see I've got a process. The client believes copy is worth paying for. Now they see I've got a rate that's you know not competitive with the cheap guys, but very competitive as far as you know kind of your upper scale, um, you know top tier people. Um, so I'm really you know I, I'd like to think that I've got a good understanding of what the kind of people that want to work with me are looking for when they go hunting, and everything on that site is kind of engineered to present myself as the ideal solution. So again, I'm not just saying like I'm really good, hire me. I'm showing them every single box, mental box you've got, some that you don't even know you have. I check it, and you know that's why you're gonna like working together. Yeah. How do you go about getting the clients that you work with? So that's something that's been engineered from the start. Um, I mentioned in my story that when I was at the agency, I made a point to network um, because I could network on someone else's dime. I had a predictable salary. I had a job. I also had enough free time in my evenings and at conferences to meet people. Um, so I chose my market really early. I knew online marketers needed what I could do and went about just meeting as many of them as possible. So I would go to conferences, I would contribute, you know, to conversations on Twitter. Uh, I would do good work. You know, I, whenever I got a job, I made sure that I underpromised, over delivered so that I would have those referrals coming in. So when I stepped out, I had this network of people who knew me, liked me and trusted me enough to do work. And it all kind of snowballed from there. The website, you know, I get the odd lead through the website from someone searching. I rank pretty well for some things, but SEO tends to be my worst leads. Um, I get some leads from, um, like I'm listed on uh, copy hackers, copy uh, writers for higher page, um, which is a great resource. And you can now, I think, pay to be on there. So if you're a talented copywriter and, and you've got some budget, it's a good place to list yourself. I get leads through there fairly often. I don't always take them, but um, especially if you're an up-and-comer, that's a good spot. But the big thing is I had a network of people. I was deliberate about building that before I went out. And I think so many people thinking about freelancing don't realize that the groundwork gets laid before you say you're going to do it and go out because um, it's much harder to network and build connections when you're trying to make money and trying to survive uh, than it is when you've got the stability of a job. So you want to take that time. You want to maximize it. Yeah. Are most of those local to you then, your client? No, virtually none of them. Uh, I've So at this point, if I look through my history, I've worked with probably 80 to 90 clients, um, probably only maybe 10 of those are Canadian and probably only you know five to eight of those are here in Calgary. The majority of my clients come from the US, the UK, 
Australia, New Zealand. Um, I get the odd one from Europe here or there, but so much so to the point that I bill in US dollars because it's simpler for people in the UK and the US to handle things that way. Uh, it's also really nice when our dollar is down. <laughs> it's basically <laughs> like giving myself a, a big raise. So um, no, my my network is almost entirely in the US and the UK and growing into these other areas. So do you bill via PayPal or something like that in order to... Yeah, I used to. Um, I don't any... As much as I can avoid PayPal, I do because PayPal is just absolutely vicious on fees, both for uh, their own fees, but then with conversions, uh, currency conversion, they absolutely just massacre you. Um, So my setup, and I advise it for any Canadians listening who bill in foreign currencies, is Stripe and USD bank account. Um, Stripe can handle credit card payments and... uh, deliver the funds in U.S. dollars to Canadian-based U.S. accounts. PayPal, PayPal can't do that. Um, so, yeah. Oh, I see. So, so, so do you have a U.S. bank account? No. So I have a U.S. dollar bank account uh, right. that's based in Canada. So it's with a Canadian bank, but it's a U.S. funds account, if that makes sense. Uh, okay. I didn't know you could do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably the smartest move you can make because right now when the dollar is fluctuating so much, I can just keep the money in there until say we hit a dollar 35 and cash it all out. Mm. You know, so it's a good way of kind of controlling costs. And, you know, if you're smart about it, you can make a little bit more percentage off your income. How have you found coping with the whole finance thing? My situation honestly is atypical. Um, I worked really hard, but yeah, I guess I made my own luck. Like I'm lucky, but I, I guess in a way I made my own luck. Um, finance has never been a problem. My problem has always been too much work. It's never been, you know, where's my next paycheck going to come from? It's never been finding the clients. It's been choosing which ones do I work with. Um, so I've dealt with finances, you know, like I didn't start out making what I make now, but I also didn't start out making like a thousand dollars a month. Um, I've had low months and you plan for those, you know, when you have a good month, you don't go out and buy a Ferrari, uh, you, you save. So, you know, pretty much my, my system is that I know how much I need to set aside for taxes and I do it right away. I know how much I need to set aside for living expenses and I do it right away. I have a budget per month for kind of like fun money or investments back into the business. And then the rest of it, I just put into savings and incidentals. So if I need new equipment, I can get it. Um, you know, so from the very beginning, I've planned to pay my taxes. I don't reach the end of the year and suddenly have a $25,000 tax bill and go, shit, all my money's gone. <laughs> um, and you've, you've got to be good at that because no one else is going to control that for you if, if you don't step up to the plate. Um, I grew up in a house with a mom who was an accountant. So that was something that was just ingrained in me pretty early on. Oh, that is useful. That, that and the business <laughs> degree seem, seem to be playing a strong part here. This is good. Um, now, I'm, I'm intrigued. You have done a TEDx talk. And I noticed you're lined up to talk at other things and stuff. Um, it, was that something that came about by accident, or have you been deliberately trying to go out there and you know start speaking, as it were? Yeah, speaking has been a goal. It's been a goal for a long time. I haven't done everything that I could do to land speaking gigs. Um, I had ideas in the past. Time is the enemy for I think most freelancers, and that you don't have time to do everything you want to do. But speaking's been a goal. I, I had ideas to put together like videos of me talking so people could see it. Uh, to volunteer to speak at like little local events here and videotape those just so people can have examples. Because the big thing conference organizers want to know is that you're not going to get on the stage and embarrass yourself or embarrass them. 
Um, there's also, you know, some credibility earning you have to do. Um, you have to have examples of work you've done. You have to be respected in industry. So I made a point to try to be involved in communities. I know that people who choose speakers are involved in uh, places like inbound.org. Um, again, that online marketing community, going to conferences, meeting the people who put them together, um, publishing stuff and making sure it gets in front of those people. Um, TEDx was a happy accident, but again, something that the groundwork was laid years before, even if I didn't know it. Um, I'm a big believer in that, you know, you should never underestimate the power of just a single connection, even if there's nothing in, in it for you at the beginning. Uh, when a lot of freelancers think networking, they think, okay, what's in it for me? They go hand out business cards. They constantly, oh, I can do this. I can do that. Um, my networking is different. And I go out and just try to be a nice dude that people want to spend time with because uh, no one wants to listen to you unless, <laughs> unless you're those things. So, so I go out and I just try to meet people and, and be interested in them and ask them questions and might end the conversation by saying, well, hey, this is, you know, what I do, but, you know, let me know if I can help you. That's always, you know, the approach. It's not insincere, but I would say, let me know if I can help you somehow, connect you with someone. Um, but TEDx came out of being willing to help. I had a friend whose sister, you know, was planning this big undertaking. She was going to go around the world collecting positive news stories. Didn't really know the digital end of things or SEO. Someone, you know, a friend of mine knew that that I was in that field, asked me if I'd sit down with her and share some tips. I said, yeah, went to a pub, had a drink, shared what I knew. Her and I became friends, you know, fast forward three, four years. She did her big trip. It got a lot of press. She's had speaking opportunities and now she sits on the board for TEDx here in Calgary. And so she put my name forward and that's, that's how I got on there. Um, could I have ever predicted that? No, but you have to kind of, when you network, when you meet people, be in it to, to be interested, be in it to be interesting. Um, people don't really give a crap about what you do until it can help them. Um, so be helpful. And does that whole speaking side of you, is that designed to uh, help your business or is it just something you fancy doing? Both. I love speaking. I did a ton of it in university. Um, was part of a, a club in university that gave huge presentations to like Fortune 500s and stuff. It was amazing. That's how I figured out I liked it. Um, now, to me, speaking is a personal goal just to prove I can. Um, but it's also a business building thing. Uh, as I look to the future, you know, having the credibility of saying, I spoke at this or, you know, I delivered this presentation, it's another feather in the cap. Um, Ironically, most people I talk to that get into speaking and then do a lot of it, they want to get out because <laughs> they've done so much and it's time consuming. But certainly there's a season, I think, where it's beneficial to anyone who can do it as far as making connections, being on a public stage, earning that cred. And, you know, like for, for me, where I want to have a $10,000 project minimum for myself and launch other companies and do these other kinds of things, it's a big, you know, a big thing to have behind you. So, that's the goal is is credibility, enjoyment, and just making connections. Nice. Man, I could talk for you so long. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, time is against us, uh, which means I've not got enough time to ask you how you became the best looking man in the world. So people, make sure you go to uh, beingfreelance.com. We'll put a link to Joel's TEDx talk where he explains all about it. It's a great story. It's only about 10 minutes or so. Um, really, really nice video. But yeah, Joel really is the best looking man in <laughs> the world. Yeah. But uh, I, I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself. Make three true, two a lie, and let me figure out the lie. What have you got for me? So... The first fact, I've been thrown out of a cookie factory. 
Uh, second fact, I've survived a head-on car crash. And the third fact is I have a pet dog with two legs named Wheels. <laughs> These are great. You've been thrown out of a cookie factory, had a head-on car collision, and have a dog called Wheels. Two-legged dog called Wheels. Um, that, now, I often now cross-examine the uh, the person in the box, but I almost just want to take a stab at those. <laughs> I... You don't have a two-legged dog called Wheels. You got it. I don't have a two-legged dog called Wheels. Yes! But I have been thrown out of a cookie factory. <laughs> I mean, how mean could the people at a cookie factory be? Like, it's a cookie factory. It's probably the happiest place on earth. <laughs> Now, if you could tell your younger self something about being freelance, what would it be? Oh, man. Um, I mean, like I said, I started out not even – this was never a career path I, I even thought was possible. Um, I I entered it almost by accident. You know, like I kind of fell into it. So if I, I guess if I could go back and tell my younger self anything, it would be to do it earlier. I don't re- regret the trajectory I took. You know, the time at the agency was great. My boss, my my coworkers were great people. The network I was able to build was fantastic. Um, but I think I would tell myself probably to leave uh, at least a year earlier to get started quicker because the life that I've been able to build, I'm not going to paint it, you know, with all bright colors and make it sound amazing. Um, I mean, even this week has, has been a huge just mental struggle for me. Um, trying to get through things and when stuff's not working can be really challenging, but the rewards of, you know, taking the reins and building something and being able to say that you went out there and did it and to own your client relationships and own your own destiny, I guess it's, it's thrilling. The best decision I made, I think beyond, you know, get, getting married to my wife, um, probably the best decision I've made for myself. So I think I would tell myself to do it earlier. And if I didn't tell myself that I probably tell myself to be more confident. Um, I think freelancers tend to start out almost apologizing for the fact of freelance, almost always not owning, you know, the power in the relationship <laughs> And I, th- I think the big difference is when you realize that you are not essentially doing people a favor by working for them, but when you can take the mentality that basically they're not doing you a favor by hiring you, you're doing them a favor by taking them on. Uh, that's that's when things change. Uh, when you realize that, yeah, you're, you're good at what you can do. You can charge for it. You don't have to kind of approach this timidly and, and make apologies and, and bid yourself down. Um, I, I think I would have told myself to charge more even earlier because, <laughs> because it, there's, there's really no reason that I, I couldn't or shouldn't have. Joel, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for taking the time. Don't forget, check out beingfreelance.com. Loads of other guests are on there, but also links to stuff that we've been talking about right here in this episode and some of the key takeaway points. Uh, tell other people about it if you've enjoyed it. Hit subscribe so you don't miss any more uh, and join us on Twitter. We'll put Joel's t- um, Twitter handle, of course, on uh, on our page as well so that you can reach out to him. Um, but Joel, thanks so much and all the best. It sounds like you've got so many great plans ahead of you and I look forward to seeing what happens. But all the best being freelance yeah thanks very much it's been great talking with you